This is Floyd Hughes, pastor of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots of sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of influence. It's available on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Esther. We're actually going to just jump right in to some scripture uh, this morning, um, starting in Esther chapter 3. Uh, and, and we'll kind of we'll summarize and, and bring everyone up to speed as we get started. So in Esther chapter 3, and again, I'll summarize in a minute, uh, it says, after these events, starting in verse 1, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. And uh, just, just so we understand, Xerxes was the king of Persian Empire. Uh, he had married Vashti, falling out after a drunken party. She was no longer queen. He went searching for another queen. Uh, and Esther ended up becoming queen of the Medo-Persian Empire, most powerful empire on the planet at that time. Esther was one of the Jewish people who, when the uh, Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and then they were conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, they, they ended up under their domain. Now, Haman was what we call, for lack of a better term, he was, uh, it says an Agite, but he was actually an Amalekite. And I want to give you a little history, bear with me, a little bit of history about the Amalekites because it kind of plays into everything that happens next, all right? So uh, Haman, even though it says he was an Agite, he was an Amalekite. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau. And in Genesis, it says, and Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek, who eventually created the Amalekites, to Eliphaz, and these are the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. Uh, and then later, we find out that these Amalekites become the enemies of the Israelites. Uh, so in the book of Exodus, uh, we see where Joshua and Moses end up fighting with the Amalekites. It says, then came Amalek, descendants of Esau, and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went on the hilltop. And some of you may be familiar with this account because this is where Moses stood on the hill. And when Aaron and Hur held up his hands, they were winning. 
but when they let his hands down, then the Amalekites were winning. And it was, in essence, an indication, and I'm not spending a lot of time on this this morning, but an indication that it wasn't just a physical battle. It was a spiritual battle. And when you read through the rest of the verses in Exodus, they kind of give you some indication why it was a spiritual battle. Uh, Dropping down to Exodus 17, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek sorry, from under the heavens. And it's not like people say, because I hear people say, well, he didn't blot out the remembrance because we're reading about it. We're reading about it because there's documented history that these people existed. We don't remember them. For example, there are Egyptians who, uh, uh, um, whose families can go back and remember and trace their family heritage back to the Egyptians that existed in this day. The Israelite people, the Jewish people, they can chase, trace their history back, but there are no Amalekites today who remember the Amalekite people. There's documents that show that they existed, right? So then later, God gives even more information. He says, Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi is the phrase he used. And he said, because theirs, the Amalekites, is a hand against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It wasn't just these were people who were enemies of Israel. These were people who hated God. These were a group of people who ended up being so wicked and vile that God said, hey, wipe this entire group out. What they would do is while the, uh, Moses and the uh, people of Israel were wandering in the desert, um, they would wander and they weren't driving. They were caravans of people, right? And this is like, you know, millions of people. So these caravans were miles long. And what the Amalekites would do is they would pick off the people at the end because the people at the end were usually the older people, the slower people, the people with large families that weren't moving as fast. And they would come and they would attack them and take stuff from them and kill them. And God said, hey, this is a a wicked group of people. Wipe them out. Later, then when the Israelites uh, were in their own territory, the Malachites, what they would do is they would wait And every season, when the Israelites, because they were farmers and shepherds, when they planted their crops, they would wait till the crops grew, and then they would go and rob the crops before the Israelites could go out and get their own food. And so God sent, he said to Saul, uh, who was one of the kings, he said, hey, go wipe these people out. And then you get to 1 Samuel, where Samuel, who's a prophet, said to Saul, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy these wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And what, what, what King Saul decided was, hey, rather than, and this is why they're called the Agagites, because the king at that time was a king named Agag. And rather than go and do what God said, which is to destroy everything and wipe the people out, 
He let the king live, and he took all the money and spread it among the people. And this is still like a spiritual battle because this is one of the things that God communicates to us when God says, hey, go forth and do this and go forth and do that. But instead, when we, instead of using what God has given us to defeat the enemy, we say, well, we're going to be a little bit like the enemy and we're going to use some of the resources of the enemy and we're going to justify not doing what God has said. So um, eventually... The people that Malachites got so dispersed and so beaten down that they just kind of dwindled away. There were people who were from their lineage still living around, but uh, there was no formal nation or group. Uh, what we read in First Chronicles chapter 4 is 500 of these Simeonites, the tribe of Simeon, led by Palatia, Neria, Rephia, and Uziel, the sons of Ishi, they invaded the hill country of Seir. They killed the remaining Amalekites who had escaped and they've lived there to this day. So eventually, there was no longer a tribe or a nation of the Amalekite people. There was just a few individuals who went and just went into other groups, into other people, into other nations, and they began to, to live, and they had descendants. And this is who Haman was. Haman was an Agagite, or, and, and that term Agagite, it's a negative term, kind of referring to King Agath. He, Haman was one of these descendants of the Amalekite people. Now in verse 2, back in Esther, verse 2, it says, All the royal officials at the king's gate, they knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Now this is different from what we see today and have seen over the last couple of years of someone saying, that's not my president or I didn't vote for them or whatever. This is not what that was. The honor that they were paying was literally divine worship. They were kneeling down and bowing down and acknowledging a worshipful aspect. And so what Haman was saying is, everyone needs to do that for me because the king decreed it. What Mordecai was saying was, I'm not going to do that. Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Verse 3, then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. Mordecai's reasoning is what you hear about a lot today. He said, I'm, I'm going to claim religious exemption because, one, uh, my, my God won't allow me to worship, pay any type of worship to a man. But also, more importantly, my God won't allow me to pay any type of worship to a people or a thing that God has called wicked and ungodly, which is what we read. God called the Amalekites wicked. And he said, I'm not going to do it. It had nothing to do with the political status, had nothing to do with you know, his racial status. It was just him saying, hey, I'm not going to worship you, right? Then, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 5 says this, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pray or pay him honor, he was enraged. That word enraged literally means uh, bottled up poison that is burning and on fire. That, that's how angry he was at the fact that Mordecai wouldn't bow down and worship him. He was enraged, yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy 
all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. And this is, again, I know we're all tired of hearing about racial and political differences and all that stuff, but as you can see, it's nothing new. This, this, this was racism. This was Haman saying, hey, I, I, because one person made me mad, and that one person is of this religious nature, from this nation, and from this cultural background, I'm going to hate and try to destroy everyone who is like them. Because that's what hate, that's when you let uh, anger and rage boiling in you, that's what it leads to. In verse 7, it says, in the 12th year of King Xerxes, now this is the 12th year. Uh, Previously, we had talked about how in the seventh year is when Esther became queen. This is in the 12th year of King Xerxes. This is about five years later. She's queen. She's probably in her mid-20s. And she's about to be confronted with probably one of the most difficult things that she could imagine. In the 12th year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the purr, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman, to select a day and a month, and the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar, which is what we talked about last week. How on the 12th month, there was a, uh, and again, if you have not watched The Purge, do not, because it's really violent and bad. But there was a free-for-all where basically they said, hey, on this day, you can go out and rape, pillage, plunder, kill, destroy any Jew throughout the nation, and it's legal. Have fun. Go at it. That's what the purr was. They just, they drew lots to say what day, and that's the day they chose, which is why last week when we talked about when, when, when they created the holiday Purim based on the purr, because they celebrated, because they said, hey, on these two days, we were allowed to defend ourselves, and we weren't destroyed. And we need to remember and celebrate the fact that our lives were saved. Verse 8 says this, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. And here here are the things that he claimed about all of these people. He said their customs are different from those of all other people. And that's usually what starts with, with, with racial tension, is when someone has different customs or cultures, He said, they're they're also people who do not obey the king's laws, which is not true, right? They were all law-abiding citizens. And here's the key word, he said, and it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. And here's, I I, want to make sure we understand this because... A talent is not a unit of monetary measurement, right? Like a denarii in in that day they had, like the British pound or the English dollar. Talent was a unit of weight. And what he was saying, I'm going to put 10,000 talents of silver of my own money out of my pocket so that we can destroy these people. Now, some of your Bibles may have a note that uh, 10,000 talents, I think it says it's like 370-something tons. So this, this is how much hatred was burning in him. He said, I'm going to take, which if you do the math today, and I did the math, I'm not doing this in my head, I'm not that cool. Uh, I did the math beforehand. If you do the math, it's about $318 million. 
He says, I'm going to devote $318 million out of my own money to destroy this people. And here's, here's if, if you get nothing else today, that get this. If you are willing to spend $318 million to destroy a whole people because one person said you suck, they're not the problem. You are. They're not the issue. First of all, if you, if you have $318 million and can't afford a therapist to talk to about it, or, 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 or you can't you know, buy some clubs and go golfing and woosah, bring your anger down, or, or, or take a cruise or, 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 or move, right? You got $318 million that you're willing to give away. That means you have some other options. And if you're not willing to exercise those other options, you're probably the problem, right? Not the one person who said, I'm not going to bow down to you. All right, so the good thing is the king said, the king took off his signet ring from his finger, gave it to Haman. I shouldn't say it's a good thing. Son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. King said, keep your money and do with the people as you please. So um, I, I, I get, I don't, let me ask because I, I, I feel like every couple of weeks, we end up talking about something political or racial or whatever because that's what's going on in our culture. And I, I feel like I'm kind of tired about it, but hopefully you see it's not just a cultural thing, it's a human thing. That this was going on long before the United States was formed, long before uh, you know, um, black people were put into slavery, that there was always with inside of people this racial tension where people uh, respond to cultural differences and other things in ways that are not healthy, right? Taking $318 million to try to destroy a whole people group, not healthy, okay? But it's not also about the racial tension and that kind of thing. This, this and I even titled the messages, this is really just about not being a jerk, because if you're going to spend $318 million because one person doesn't like you, you're kind of a jerk. There's other things that you can do to resolve your issues. Uh, I want to show you this real quickly because um, if, like we said last week, that even though it's called the Book of Esther, that Mordecai is really kind of like the hero of this account because he's kind of like a type of the church in the way that he steps in to help Esther, uh, and we're going to see in the coming weeks in the way that he helps resolve everything. Yeah, but this is this is this is Mordecai kind of stepping in and saying, "I'm just going to help everybody." But if he's the hero, then Haman is kind of the villain, and if Mordecai is a type of kind of like being the church, the way that we should step in and help people, then Mordecai is kind of like the enemy. I mean, Haman is kind of like the enemy. And I want to show you the comparison really quick. Uh, so both of them had their peoples conquered, right? Mordecai uh, had the, the Jewish people conquered. They were in captivity. Um, at this time, some of them were allowed to go back and live in Jerusalem, but they were still subject to a whole other government, right? Uh, Haman had his people conquered, almost all wiped out. He was probably one of a few remaining who could trace his lineage back to them. 
So they had those similarities. And you would think that that's something that they would bond over. Hey, I'm here in a foreign... Anyone ever traveled overseas? Okay. Anyone ever traveled to another state? Hopefully, Yeah. Okay. And you go to another state and you see someone with like a Steelers jersey on and then you're like, hey, I'm not from here. You're not from here. We're both from, you know, the Pittsburgh area. We both like the Steelers. And you try to bond with them over that. They don't. Instead, it leads to something else. So they both experience that. Most of them have lost everything. Mordecai lost everything. Doesn't have his, his, his uh, place of worship, the, the, uh, the whole religious aspect of worshiping God in the temple was crucial to the people of Israel. They didn't have that anymore. Right? So he had kind of lost everything. Haman, um, although he had lost everything, he didn't really. Because if you have $318 million, you really didn't lose a whole lot. We're going to find out later he has a big house, he has servants, he has friends, he has family, he has people that he goes golfing with and bowling with. So he didn't really lose a whole lot. As a matter of fact, he probably gained more. And he was just named, you know, the most prestigious person by the emperor or the uh, King Xerxes. It's kind of like complaining, I lost everything, but you've got millions of dollars, family, friends, big house, and they just named you Time's Sexiest Man. You don't have a lot to complain about, right? But as far as valid anger, Mordecai, yeah. Because not only did I lose everything, not only do I no longer have what was crucial to me, the way that I worship God, but now I'm being asked to worship something that God said, thou shalt not, right? So I got a little bit of reason to be angry. Now I'm being asked to bow down and worship, number one, a man, which God said, thou shalt not. But not only that, a man that of a wicked people. Not only that, he's a man who tried to wipe out your people. So if anyone had reason to be angry, it's Mordecai. Did Haman have reason to be angry? No. You're rich, you're wealthy, you were just named Time's Sexiest Man, you're, you're, you're put on a, a political you know, uh, spotlight, you have money, you have wealth, you have power, you have family, you have friends, you have everything that you think that someone could imagine. If you can't be happy, you shouldn't take it out on someone else when you've got all this and they have nothing. Now, here's the thing. Was there a valid response from each? Yeah, because Mordecai's response when asked to worship something that God said, hey, you shouldn't do this, his response was, I'm not going to do this. He didn't start a Twitter campaign against Hammond. He didn't start calling him out on Facebook. He didn't start sending an angry tweets at him. He didn't start talking bad about him. He didn't start telling other people, hey, you don't know the history of this man and what he's done and where he's came from and his family. He simply said, I'm not going to do it. I'm Jewish. My faith won't allow me to do it. Haman's response was to fund a 300 plus million dollar genocidal campaign to wipe out an entire people group because one person said, I'm not going to bow down to you. That's not the valid response. That is the epitome of being a jerk. 
That is the epitome of letting your anger and your frustration and all of that stuff drive you. That's the difference between being the church, right, and responding in a God-honoring way, and being the enemy and letting your anger fuel your response. Okay, so, so uh, we're going to go back to, we talked about this last week, uh, the one another's, right? 59 times in the Bible where it says that, you know, here's how you should do things for one another. And in addition to, says 11 verses of here's how you serve one another, 26 on how you treat one another, 16 on how you love one another. There are six verses specifically that say how not to treat one another. Granted, there isn't one that says, don't be a jerk to one another, but there should be. That should be understood, right? And one of them uh, is from James, the brother of Jesus. He says this. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that you won't come under condemnation. Look, the judge is standing at the door. That word grumble is the same type of like anger and frustration, except instead of holding it in, it's spewing it out at one another. And he says, don't do that, because if you do, you'll be condemned. Not by me, not by someone else, by the judge. And he's talking about God. God looks unfavorably, just like any parent would look, if you see one of your children bad-mouthing your other child, from that child's perspective, they may see a, a reason. From your perspective, they're both your children. And you're like, hey, that's not how we show love for one another, right? That's not what's supposed to happen. That's not the way that we treat one another. But this was how Haman responded. Haman responded out of anger, out of frustration, out of a place of, of, of just hatred and, and just vileness um, and just as a royal jerk. But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to treat one another differently. This is what Paul says uh, in the book of Ephesians, and we've talked about this before. He says that you, and he's talking to the church in Ephesus, he's talking to Christians, right? So this applies to all of us. He's specifically talking to them, but as a general rule, it applies to all of us. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says you were taught this meaning from the pulpit. He taught them that. And this is, this is why a lot of times you'll hear me say, I blame the pulpit, because if we're not teaching the word of God and telling people how to treat one another, not because we think it's right, because thus saith the Lord, then we're not doing what God has called us to do. It's like, how can you expect your children to know how to treat other children unless you teach them? And when you see the way they treat other children, it's because of what you taught them. If they're beating them over the head with bricks because that's what you've done to them, but if they're reaching out to one another in love and kindness because that's what you taught them, and the same is true of the church. And right now we have so many people that are angry at Christians because Christians are being jerks. People are, 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 are talking about, hey, I'm hurting. And I read this in a, a, a Facebook group for 
supposed to be for men, not for pastors, just for men who are Christians who are seeking prayer and encouragement. And I saw one guy, and I won't go into detail, who just said, hey, I'm going through something, and I'm praying, but I feel like, and he listed a couple of the problems, and one after one, people just started beating him down. You're not praying enough. You're not doing it right. You're not reading your Bible enough. And so I messaged him privately, and I said, hey, everything that they just said to you sucks. I don't know what you're going through, but if you want to talk, message me. That's it. I don't understand how the people of God are being such jerks these days. When he says, you were taught with your former, regard to your former way of life, we're supposed to, we were taught, here's the other thing, to put off the old self. That means it's a choice. That means when we face a situation, I can choose to respond like I used to, or I can choose to respond with a new attitude and put on a new self and respond in a way that shows God's love and his truth and his righteousness and his holiness, right? Uh, he goes on and he says this, therefore, and the therefore means because each of you were taught this and because it's a choice, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. When we speak harshful, ridiculous, mean-spirited things to one another, we're sinning. We're violating. If you don't know the Bible, the two things God tells us to do, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I like me, so I usually don't talk bad about me. That means I'm going to talk to you the way I would talk to me. I don't talk bad to me, so I shouldn't be talking bad to you. And the same is true for all of us. And he's a, there's a reason he says, do not give the devil a foothold, because when we hold in that anger and spew it out at one another... It's allowing that poisonous, annual, bottled-up anger to come to the forefront, and it's allowing the enemy to use it against us. But that's not what we're supposed to do. That's not the way that we're supposed to treat one another. And then he says this, and this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, but it's one of the most difficult ones to uphold. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I would add in our culture today that if Paul were writing this today, he would add in comma or any unwholesome texts be sent or any unwholesome comments be shared online because everything that we communicate needs to either benefit someone or lift them up. You can give constructive criticism. I've had people do that. Hey, Pastor Floyd, if you had done this a little bit better, blah, 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 that's one thing. But when we tear one another down, we're not building up God's kingdom. We have to do better. We have to treat one another better. I mean, we, and it's really easy. We just, we just have to stop being jerks to one another. I'm going to show you this last thing, and then I'm going to ask us to pray, okay? Um, because, again, this is... This is 
a hot spot for me, just seeing the way that Christians treat one another. Um, and again, I know you guys think I talk about TikTok too much, but bear with me. I made a TikTok video, right, talking about the fact that um, things I've seen Christians post on TikTok so far this Christmas season, okay? Video was less than a minute long, and I put up a bunch of the things that I've seen Christians post. They were all negative things. This was like the 6th of December. So when I said this Christmas season, this is like the first week of December, right? And I put uh, at the end, just so people would know, just so you know, when we put these negative things, non-Christians see this as well. These were some of the things that I saw people post. Um, debate me or your... These are Christians calling one another a coward, telling people that they're being, leading people to hell by celebrating Christmas, uh, telling... Specifically, they told me, hey, you made a TikTok, and you didn't share a Bible verse, so you're a fake pastor. Um, you're a liar. You're a sinner. Um, you're wrong. That's not how salvation works. Multiple people telling me I'm going to hell because I have tattoos, uh, and, and, and a bunch of people telling me and a bunch of other pastors that we're telling people that we shouldn't be talking this way to one another, telling us all to drop, we all have false theology. And I'm like, I, I, I don't understand. And again, uh, at the end, I put, in case you're wondering, non-Christians have seen these posts and comments as well. That was my whole point, is that it's only been a week into the Christmas season. We've posted all these negative things, but non-Christians see this. And when they see this, they think, why would I want to be a part of that? It makes absolutely no sense. Now, here's, here's, here's the thing that got me. I expected that there would be some negative responses, right? So um, I don't know if you can see up in the top right-hand corner, that little thing where that number 468 is. Can you guys see that? There were 468 comments. I looked yesterday. It was up to almost 500. 468 comments. Well over 200 of them were more negative comments, hateful comments, most of them from people proclaiming to be Christians, about why they were right in hating on other people for their different theologies, uh, for their lack of understanding that Christmas is a pagan holiday and we're going to hell to celebrate it, and why every single person with an earring and a tattoo that walks into a church is going to burn for all eternity. I, I, I wept as I read some of these comments from Christians. The ones from non-Christians, because you know, you go and someone leaves a comment, you go click on their profile, and, and, and the comment of like all of you guys that with tattoos and earrings, you're going to hell, I click on his profile and it says, Christian loving blah, blah, blah person, follow me as I follow Christ. And I'm, I, I, I cannot understand it. It doesn't make any sense. There's not one thing there that would promote someone that didn't know Christ to say, I want to follow them because I want to be like that. Not one. When what we should be doing, right? And I'm going to put uh, this verse up before we pray. Uh, uh, we read it before. I'm putting it in the complete Jewish Bible version because this is the way the Jewish mindset would have received it in the language it was written in that day. So far as your former way of life is concerned, you must strip off your old nature, 
because your old nature is thoroughly rotted by its deceptive desire. And you must let your spirits and minds keep being renewed. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and uh, we're going to spend a moment or two in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to bow your head. God, we lift up your people this morning, the people who claim to be filled with your Holy Spirit, the people who claim to have acknowledged you as their Lord and Savior. We pray that you would renew our minds, that you would renew our hearts so that we can be better than everything we've just discussed, so we can do better, so we can treat one another better. We pray, as we read, that you would allow us to renew our spirits and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we also pray, because maybe there's some of us here who have been jerks to other people, Maybe we were the Hamans who looked at someone who was culturally different and we hated them. We looked at someone who was religiously different and we persecuted them. We looked at someone who was from a different nation or tribe or people group or just not from our community and we harassed and felt that vile anger towards them. God, we pray that you would help heal that in us. Help us to see people the way that you do as people who are desperately in need of your amazing grace and love. God, we pray that if there are people that we've been jerks to, that we've mistreated, that we misspoke to, that we demeaned or dehumanized, we pray that you would put it on our hearts to go and make that right, to do what you did for us, to extend mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness above all else. and that we might proclaim your name and your truth to them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.